You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 140. On today's show, I chat with certified financial planner, Matt Queller, about financial steps for expecting parents and parents with newborns. We discuss cash flow, education costs, family money values, life and disability insurance, wills and estate planning, and health insurance and employee benefits. When we had this discussion, our baby Theo hadn't arrived yet. Now, originally, this episode was going to air before his delivery date. However, he's now two weeks old. Now, the terror I had before he arrived has subsided, and now I'm loving being a dad and spending all my time with the sweetest little thing on the planet. Matt made a great summary of today's episode. That checklist is available via a link in the show notes. Before we get started, Nicole is sending out our monthly Artistic Finance newsletter this week. It includes a recap of the past month's episodes and an update on our life, which includes photos of Theo. If you'd like to receive it, sign up at artisticfinance.com newsletter. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, and today I welcome back certified financial planner, Matt Queller. Welcome back, Matt. Thanks for having me, Ethan. Excited to be here. We're recording this on February 23rd, 2023, and a preface to this discussion, which is that nothing contained in this podcast constitutes financial, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. It's for informational purposes only. If you want to find out more about Matt, you can check his LinkedIn profile, which will be in the show notes, or you could listen to episode 67, which is the ultimate guide to finding a financial advisor. Some say that that was our best episode ever, and I have not argued with them. Just saying that. <laughs> um, Matt, do you want to give us any uh, life or career updates since you were on the show last? Yeah, definitely. So 2022 was an exciting year for the Queller household. My wife and I had a beautiful baby girl, Sophia, who is just about 10 months now. Bought a house out in Long Island, so we made the move to the Burbs after living in New York City for five-plus years. And our company also went through an acquisition. So all of People's United was acquired by M&T Bank, which was really interesting and came full circle because they're headquartered out of Buffalo, New York, where I'm from originally. And I now work as a wealth advisor for the wealth management division of M&T Bank, Wilmington Trust, out of the Hopog office out here in Long Island. Hopog, what a name. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like every time we check in with you, something new is going on. So uh, congratulations on all those amazing things. And right now, Nicole and I, we are currently panicking. Uh, So our little baby is due in six weeks. We simultaneously feel as prepared as we can be, but we also feel very unprepared. (laughs) Really, I want to talk to you today about how we can ensure our next baby has the wealth of Bill Gates and or Elon Musk. I don't necessarily need their personalities, but it's just sort of like <laughs> everything else about their lives. So we're going we're gonna to get to the bottom of that. Also, I just wanted to say 
we had a previous guest, a listener named Carl Faber, who's a lighting designer, and he has two children, one of which is now nine months, six months, very young. And when he found out we were having a baby, he said, you know, right now, take the time. If there's any tasks in your life that are going to take six hours, get them done now because you will never get them done otherwise. So that's another reason why I'm reaching out to you because like, I better have this talk now and figure out my baby because once the baby comes, then it's, then I think I feel like I'll feel like it's too late to uh, get this stuff in shape. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is the perfect time to be recording the episode. And he speaks the truth, right? I was just in that. And I know it all too well. I would even say six hours is being a little on the long end. I would shorten that down to maybe two hours or so, just knowing how much time it takes up and also how tired you are in those first few months from the lack of sleep. Oh, boy. Well, I can't process two hours. Six hours seems more manageable. So I'll just <laughs> I'll, I'll face that two hour reality in a little bit. So let's get right into it. You did a lot of preparation for this episode, um, and you sent me a nice list, and you said, well, these are sort of the things to think about, and you gave me at least six bullet points of consider this, consider this, consider this. I'm wondering if you can just walk us all through that, um, and we can talk through the things that financially and family planning-wise we should prepare for You know, when you're going to bring a baby into this world. You know, I was once single <laughs> and then Nicole and I got together. So then there was two of us. So we worked together on that. And now there's going to be three of us. And the thing about this new one is it's going to be entirely reliant on us. And I think that's the part that, that worries us a little bit is like, we can damage that thing. <laughs> yeah. So what are all the things that we need to think about? Yeah, let's dive into it. Look, uh, a really exciting time. And I know you guys are going to be great parents. I'm sure you've heard that from people. And you know, we heard that from people when they were telling us beforehand. And it never really hits. And you think, you know, it's going to be all this work. We don't know what to do. But really, a lot of the natural instincts kick in. And I've gotten to know you guys well over the years. You're organized, you're responsible. And Loving your kid is going to be the most important thing, and that should come naturally. So I'm really excited for you guys and excited to talk about all the financial planning considerations that come into play when having a baby. You know, I went through this with my own family. I talk to clients about it all the time. So it's definitely front and center for me and what I do in my day-to-day -day work. Uh, I think just one side story before we dive into the topics, and it's related to this, but I thought it was really interesting and timely what's going on right now with artificial intelligence. And if you haven't heard of ChatGPT, definitely go and check that out. But uh, as Ethan and I were prepping for this episode, we just threw that in there to ChatGPT to see when we were coming up with our notes and prepping for this episode, how close would ChatGPT come to what we put together? And it was astonishingly close to a lot of the items that we came up with. So Really cool to see, you know, it even could have come up with a whole script for this episode if we wanted it to. Uh, a lot of good information in there, and we're going to be hitting on most, if not all, of those topics that ChatGPT spit out. This list is long. There's a lot here, and especially for someone who is thinking about having kids or, you know, right in that home stretch like you and Nicole just six weeks away, it can seem overwhelming. So really coming up with priorities and having this be Something that you want to get to within, say, the first six or 12 months of having the baby is really a good strategy to set in place. When you think about trying to tackle this all at once, it can be way too overwhelming. There's so many different things that also just need to be taken care of to get wherever you're living ready for the baby and all the big lifestyle changes that come along with it. Uh, back to that Carl Faber six-hour rule and the two-hour rule that I spoke about. 
as much of this that you can do beforehand, you're really only helping yourself. Oh boy. <laughs> it's going to be great. All right. So the first topic that I want to hit on is really cash flow and your emergency fund. So this is super important when it comes to thinking about how your life is going to change when you're adding a member of your family, considering your finances. Having that cushion for anything that might come up, whether it's medical-wise or job loss-wise, is really a great place to start. So I know you've had a lot of guests on this show that have talked about the importance of the emergency fund. Really, when you think about now having a baby added into the family picture, it becomes even more important if that emergency does come up. Both of you are working right now with the baby in terms of putting that in dollar terms. I'd say have that be in that six to 12 month range of what your spending is. And we're going to talk about how your spending changes also. So that emergency fund number before kids and after kids is going to be moving upwards because of all those extra expenses that are going to be coming up. There's a lot of new things to think about, right? You're going to be either dealing with childcare or daycare or a nanny, depending on your particular situation. We're going to get into life insurance and disability insurance. So factoring in what those extra premiums might add to your expenses that are in there, as well as all the things that you're buying for the baby. So things like diapers or formulas, if you're not breastfeeding and all the baby clothes and the things to set up for their room. So there's a lot of extra expenses and it's good to get organized as much as you can beforehand. Which is, it's funny because we already feel like we've been spending extra for this baby that hasn't even arrived. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, great, we, we should be saving even more. But, you know, saving is saving. And we sort of do it the same way. So I don't know. Emergency funds have always been hard for us. But all right, noted, we need more in the emergency fund. And look, just to throw out some expense numbers from different surveys and statistics that are out there on the national average level. And this is going to depend on the cost of living area that you're in and what type of lifestyle you live. But numbers that I've seen thrown around are between 15 to 20,000 of extra child-related expenses per year. And that may even be on the lower end for people who are living in a more expensive area. So definitely be prepared for all of those extra costs. There could be other things that are involved, like in your situation, if you're going to be moving to a different place and factoring what that different rent would be. Or in our situation, we bought a house because we needed the extra space. So now factoring in the cost of the mortgage and homeowners insurance and all the extra expenses that come in living in a house or a larger area. I will say, so I'm applying for college teaching jobs now. I would love to avoid the snow is really my goal. <laughs> so I'm applying to, you know, all across the nation I'm applying. There was one place that has snow and there was a little line in it that said, we can help with moving expenses. And I thought, you know, that would be really handy. <laughs> So I went ahead and applied there because I thought, well, you know, that seems like a good idea. I'm thinking of the baby already is, you know, it's priority already. Of course, it's a priority. And look, whether it's help with moving expenses or help that family and friends are offering from Hammy Towns or help babysitting. Sometimes you got to just put that pride to the side and accept it with open arms. And they're going to be happy that you said yes. And you guys will definitely be thanking yourself that you said yes to a lot of that help also. Amazing. On the cash flow side, we can talk about the saving side of the equation also. So we spoke about the expense side, but this is also a great opportunity to look at where you're already saving. I know you and Nicole right now are dollar cost averaging into your investment account, which is great. But with extra expenses, it might be time to revisit the amount that's going in there. And as we talk about these other topics, whether it's money that's going to go, say, towards 
insurance premiums or to 529 college savings plans. It's good to know what that surplus is, and that really starts with reassessing your spending plan and putting that all down on paper, whether it's a spreadsheet or an online tool to know where's our money going today to be able to plan around where you'll have that surplus, hopefully, to be able to redirect this to all the extra things that are going to be coming into play when the baby arrives. Just so I know, are we now on the college savings part? Yes, let's jump okay. into college savings. That's a big <laughs> piece. And look, you know, it's funny, right? People say, you just had the baby. Time to think about college savings. And when they're so little, it seems so far away. It's hard to take that seriously, but it's great to have a plan in place. And you're really doing them a great service by starting early because of all that time that it can grow and compound, especially inside of some of the vehicles that we'll talk about with a lot of the tax advantages that come into play for those types of accounts. I know that's something Nicole and I want to do, because also maybe too much information here, but we're only planning on having one child. As part of that is like, we want to help them with their college education, if they so choose to do that. I paid for mine, Nicole had help with hers. And we would both say that like, especially actually having had so many conversations on this show where we've talked about student loans and how much people have had, Nicole and I were both fortunate enough that we didn't have any debt when we got out. We've said it a hundred times, but like starting at zero versus starting in the negative is like this huge, huge difference when it comes to like the rest of your life. (laughs) Yeah, it's an amazing head start. And it's great you guys have already spoken about that because I'd say that's something that I definitely recommend with the clients that I work with. And, you know, from the last episode that I spoke about, but I'll reiterate it here, communication is key, whether it's any area of your personal finances, but especially when you're having a baby having a lot of these conversations up front, carving time to do it is incredibly important because each of you are bringing in different experiences that you had to the table or different values when it comes to saving or helping out your child when it comes to college. So making sure that you're on the same page is really going to help put that savings plan in place or having a game plan of what you want to do. And I alluded earlier that we want our child to have the wealth of Elon Musk. But if that's if we're not able to provide that for him, we do have a backup plan, which is he's basically going to be a genius. He could be the next Einstein. But however it works out is we plan for him to get a full ride to college because he's so smart. But that being said, let's discuss what we would need to do to save for him just on the off chance that that's not the case. Definitely. So let's jump into 529 college savings. So what this refers to is a vehicle that you can save into. A lot of them are sponsored by the specific state that you're in that has a lot of great tax advantages when you're using that money for not only just college education, but now that some of the legislative rules have changed, also K through 12 education can be used from funds that are saved within a 529 plan. Think of it as the wrapper, the type of account that you have the money saved in, but then you can also choose your own investments within this type of plan to have that grow over time. In New York State, there's also a lot of tax advantages where I know a lot of your listeners are based here. So if you're single, you can deduct up to $5,000 off of your state income tax. You want to check with a tax professional to make sure that you can get this deduction. Wait, $5,000 or $500? So $5,000 if you're single, $10,000 if you're married. Comes out to when we think of what the savings might be, maybe somewhere in that three to $500 range of actual tax savings. But to give you an example of how that works, if you had $100,000 of income, but as a couple, you contributed $10,000 to a New York 
529 savings plan, it would be like your New York state income was only 90,000. Wow. Uh, what is what is the limits for a 529 plan per year? There are really high limits that you can put in there. And it's more related to gift tax rules when it comes to money that's going in there, as opposed to a cap that actually a lot of the 529 providers have. There's a couple now, it's about 34000 a year that you could put in, but you also are allowed to front load those contributions now up to five years of gifts without it coming out of the amount that you're able to gift in your lifetime. For the average person right now, at least based on how much you're able to gift before you need to pay taxes, the really high amount, almost $13 million. So not something that most people are going to need to worry about, even if you do go above that amount, you're a big saver. You just need to record it on your tax return. You're not actually paying gift taxes on that money. Okay, wow. Did you just say you could save up to $13 million in somebody's 529 plan? Not necessarily in the 529 plan before you have to start paying taxes on the gift that you're giving. Wow. That means, okay, so somebody could give me $12 million and I wouldn't have to pay taxes on that? So the recipient of the gift, they never need to pay taxes. It's the person that's giving the gift that has that lifetime amount that you're able to give. Oh, I gotcha. I see over the course of a lifetime. Wow. Okay. All right. Sorry for that tangent. It just, that number was so large. It surprised me. <laughs> no, it's a good one. But yeah, let's get back to the 529 specifics. So NewYorkSaves.org, that's the website for New York-based plans where you can get that New York deduction. And there's a lot of great options in there, low cost, high quality, where you could either have it be like a target retirement fund where there's age-based options, where let's say the kid is really young, far away from college, can be invested more aggressively and automatically become more conservative as you get closer to your child going to school and actually needing that money. Or you can go in there and select your own investments within that account. Does sort of every state have one of these? So like when you set up the 529, let's say you go to Fidelity and set it up, but do you have to do it through the New York site instead? Or can you do it through Fidelity, but then link it to New York? To get the state-specific deductions, and we'll link in the show notes uh, website that shows you which states do allow for state tax deductions. There's many of them that do, but there's some that aren't. So you'll want to check wherever you're living to see if that's the case. And to get that state deduction, a lot of times you do need to go through this state-sponsored specific plan to make sure that you get that. Got it. So Nicole and us moving, I mean, if the world works out perfectly, wherever we move to is where we're going to be settled for quite some time. Should I wait for the 529 plan until we move in six months? Or should I set one up, you know, whenever I get the social security card? Yeah, I think you can get started in New York. You're already working here now. So you are going to have New York state income that's attributable here that you'd be able to get that deduction on still. So especially if you're going to be moving to a place that doesn't have the state tax deduction, I think it's never too early to get started. So, but I would only be able to do it this year because then if I'm living somewhere else, then I won't have the income in New York. So then I won't get the deduction. Yes, exactly. So you want to check the state. So might as well get it in while you can. And on some of those tax benefits of the 529. So it's like a retirement account where when your investments pay income, you're not paying any taxes on the investment income while it's still within the 529 account. So great as that compounds and pays dividends over time, that continue to grow tax-free within that account. Also, if you're using that money for education-related expenses, you're not going to need to pay capital gains tax on all the growth, where normally you would need to do that if it was a normal 
individual joint or taxable account that you were saving into. So over time on large dollar amounts, that can be a huge tax savings by not only not needing to pay the taxes on the investment income, but also not needing to pay taxes on the growth when it's used for those education-related expenses. Yeah, I'm also interested that you said you can use it to pay for kindergarten through 12th grade. Right. So people who have expensive private schools, those can get really expensive. And then I realized that depletes the college fund potentially if you use it for that. But Nicole and I have had this discussion, which is I'm all for public school. She sort of wants a private school just because it seems like less people in America get shot at school shootings in private schools than they do in public schools. So that's actually why she wants to put them in private school. A crazy world they live in now that that's even a consideration, right? But I get it. But this is good to know that the 529 could be used for that. Interesting. Cool, cool. Yeah, and you talked about your baby genius potentially getting a scholarship. So a new legislative change that's nice to point out for your listeners here, if that is a worry for you where you think you might have too much left in the 529 plan that's unused, if you take the money out for non-college-related or educational expenses, there's a 10% penalty on any of the profit and could count as income. Let's say that you have money left over, though. There's this new rule that is going to allow you to do rollovers of up to $35,000 in a lifetime, as long as you've had this 529 for 15 years, into a Roth IRA for your child. Let's say they graduate school, they're working, and they have their own income and they want to take some of the extra 529 funds and use that to contribute to the Roth IRA, that's now something that's allowed up to that $35,000 lifetime limit. I love that rule. I think that's like brilliant. Because then it gives uh, the parents an incentive to save in a 529. Because it's like, because in our brain, we're thinking, oh, do we need to open up an IRA for our child as soon as possible or encourage them? Well, now the 529, we could you know, put all our efforts into that, knowing that whatever is not used, they can still have, or at least a lot of it, you know, certainly. Like if, if we had lots and lots of money, yeah, sure, I guess they couldn't get it all. But presumably whatever's not used, they can then have in their IRA. Exactly. And you spoke about you and Nicole only wanting to have one child. For many families out there who want to have larger families, you're also able to move all of the funds over from one child to another child and there's a whole family tree with a lot of different transfers allowed, whether it's cousins or if the parents wanted to use the money for grad school or upper level education. It's a lot of flexibility with these plans and a lot of the reasons why it's where a lot of advisors will start with when we're talking about education savings for young children. I'm getting a little sidetracked here, but IRA for a kid, I'm sort of now thinking like that's a low priority. Do I just let them figure that out when they get older? Yeah. So you need earned income to contribute to an individual retirement account. Now, when we were prepping for this, we spoke about some far out there ideas like baby modeling, where some people do get paid or, you know, having my daughter be in some of the promo shoots here, we could pay her to, you know, get some contributions in. But all joking aside, there are legit reasons where children can get paid for jobs. And if that income is there, that's great. That can give you a head start in making some retirement account contributions. Maybe our kid can be a child actor. Well, we'll get to work on that. <laughs> there you go. We have we have high plans for this child. <laughs> we do lots of things. So I'll touch on Ethan just a few of the other options out there. If you don't save in the five twenty nine, because it's not an either or, but a lot of times it's and. Where I encourage a lot of people not to just have the five twenty nine savings, because that does have that educational string attached. But if you wanted to have more no strings attached type of savings, there's a few good options that are out there as well. 
there's what's called the UTMA account, Uniform Transfers to Minors Act, that allows you to essentially give an irrevocable gift to your child. They get access to the money once they're older, depending on your state, either 18 or 21. And ultimately, that doesn't need to be used for education. It can be used for things like a wedding or buying a car. But ultimately, once they reach that age, they get control over the money. And there can be some concerns from parents that they might not be responsible enough or spend it on things that you don't want them spending. But nice to start saving in another vehicle that doesn't have to particularly be tied to education. And there's no tax advantages to that? No tax advantages for that. Uh, Some of that income, depending on the dollar amount, could be taxed at the children's tax rate, which might be lower depending on the dollar amount that's in there, but no deductions that you're getting for contributions. Got it. And what is the difference between, you know, setting up just a savings or a brokerage account for them versus doing this UTMA? So with the joint account, what you could do is say, just have a separate account that's in your Nicole's name that is for the purpose of them. You plan on gifting them the money once you choose to do that, but they're not able to be listed as an owner on the account until they're at least the age of majority, 18, to be able to be on an investment account. So you couldn't just save for them in an account in their name. That's where you would need to do the UTMA if you wanted their name on it. Otherwise, you could do that joint account option and then just transfer them money or add them on as an owner once they're old enough. For more complicated situations or more control, that's where you can get into trust structures where you can say things like, I want my child to get access at certain age ranges that they hit, 25, 30, 35, or I want the money to be used for this specific purpose. So I really see it all across the board, and that's why it's important to have that conversation amongst yourselves and with professionals about what type of structure you want to set up and what's going to work best for you in your situation. Okay, going back to all those. So to me, the 529 is very appealing just because the tax advantages. So between a brokerage and a UTMA, I'm seeing those like as the same thing. Am I not understanding a difference there? The joint account, the child's name couldn't be on until they're no longer considered a minor. Because you and Nicole would be listed on there, let's say that the child's 25 and you don't want to give them the money yet, it's still in your names. They don't have access to it versus the UTMA. Once they hit that age where they're entitled to the money in New York, it's 21. Because it was a gift to them, an irrevocable gift, you can't go back and say, no, I don't want you to have that money. They have access to it to spend it on whatever they want. So the joint account without them listed is a little bit more restrictive, but then you also get into what age do you want to give them the money type of conversation. Got it. Okay, so the UTMA, just the only advantage is that it it would be out of my control. It's sort of like, we're doing this, and they're going to get it no matter what. I can't change my mind. I can't pull it out for hardship or something. The money needs to be used for the children's benefit, so you can't pull it out beforehand. can be used for things in their lifetime before they're at that age of majority. But once they hit, say, in New York, 21, they can say, you know, cash all that out let's go buy a fresh new car and go drive that around. Good to know about it. I'm glad I know about it. But I don't think our child is going to be having a UTMA. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a good transition for our next topic. And I'll just share what our family is doing personally, since again, we're going through this now. But we did start a 529 plan in New York to get that state tax deduction and make sure that we're saving early and we're doing a dollar cost averaging approach to save into that on a monthly basis. Also, my parents, you know, talking about having the conversation, not just with you and Nicole, but it's good to know if there's also going to be any other family support that's going to be happening. 
Now, they really value education and want to help contribute to her future. So they're also saving for a 529 plan on her behalf. So you can have multiple 529 plans. The nice thing there is they're also able to get the New York State deduction for their contributions since it's a separate plan. So just all things that you want to take into consideration when you're saving. So there's those 529 plans, and then we are also doing a small amount into a UTMA account just to start building up savings for other things in her life. And also be a great way when she's old enough to start teaching her about investing and what's in that account and how it's going to be growing for her and helping her make decisions over time about what that money might be used for. Okay, wait, so Matt Kleller's doing a UTMA, then maybe I shouldn't poo-poo it like I thought. <laughs> so you said to help with learning for, with investing. So is that because, I mean, uh, she doesn't speak yet, but like <laughs> once she starts learning about this, it's sort of like the purpose is like, oh, this is yours, you control it, you can do things with it? Is like, so is that, what's called is the that custodian listing on the account. The parent ultimately gets to decide how the money is invested, but... You know, if you're having a conversation and you're speaking with your kid about what stock they want to buy or a mutual fund or an ETF, ultimately you could do that together and partner, but it has to be the parent that's making the ultimate decision with the account, even if you've gotten the, the children's input. Okay. But the stakes are higher for the kid maybe because they know they're going to get that. Yeah. And it's real money, right? So it helps them learn with real funds at stake. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good online trading things where you can simulate it, but if you want to actually have the skin in the game, I think it's a great way to have that learning come across. That's one way that you can do it with money that ultimately is going to be theirs down the road. Got it. Amazing. Um, are you going to have a piggy bank for Sophia? <laughs> oh, we already have one. Uh, my oh. sister-in-law is uh, a big piggy bank collector. So she got one for her early on. And we try to add to that with some spare change. And we'll talk to her about value savings once she's a little bit older. But you know, right now, since she's not talking, we've gotten our first mama and dadas and some babbling. So there's some fun milestones that you start to hit around the scene. All right. That's exciting. Um, I also want to say about teaching children, you know, things. So we actually had a previous guest named Maitre Gopal Krishnan, and she sent us a book. This child is going to be like a prodigy. I don't know. We're, we're building them up quite a bit. But we decided they're they're going to be bilingual. <laughs> so oh, my we tried that too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Was your yeah? Anyway, <laughs> but Maitre sent us a, a children's book that's about finance, but it's in Spanish. We're sort of hitting two birds with one stone. We think there. That's a terrible phrase. I don't like that hitting birds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it though. It's good to have those plans in place. I really only brought that up to say that we have the Financial Independence Book Club on the show where we meet via Zoom once a month and we all read a book about financial independence. If anybody has a child that's getting of age to learn all these things, they should totally join our book club. <laughs> Love it. Taking a break from the interview to mention a couple things. First, the Financial Independence Book Club will be meeting on Zoom at the end of the month. That's April 23rd, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. This month's book is The Little Book of Common Sense Investing by Jack Bogle, who is the founder of Vanguard, which is known for low-cost ETFs. We re-air the book clubs in the podcast feed, but it's fantastic to see everyone on Zoom, so mark your calendar for Sunday, April 23rd. To find links to the book and that Zoom, visit artisticfinance.com slash book club. I'd also like to thank our patrons, this past month, two patrons up to their contribution level, set designer Josh Warner and lighting designer Gary Archer. 
Thank you both for your incredible support. It means the world. If you yourself would like to join up as a patron, there are perks and incentives. All patrons get a private podcast feed with bonus materials and early releases of each episode. And remember, the Patreon is a way for listeners to help me produce the show, but if you want access to something behind the paywall and you're not quite ready to be a patron, just send me an email at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com and ask for what you want. Just this week, someone reached out and asked for the outtakes from episode 40 with painter Destiny Powell. I happily emailed them a link to the extra content. If you're listening and thinking, I want to help Ethan out, I would be thrilled to have that support. Sign up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. That is patreon.com slash artistic finance. And now back to the show. So back to some of those family values that you want to instill in your children. I mean, the education is right along with that. But thinking about things like savings or even are you going to give your kid an allowance? You know, these aren't things, as I spoke about, being aspirational. You don't need to do all this in those first few months of the months leading up to it. But good to have the conversations about how you want to grow up with the money values in the family over time. So, you know, working in an early age was a big value that I grew up with and something that my parents were big advocates of. And I think it really helped shape my mentality around money. Having a job at an early age or even if you have an allowance, encouraging them with that allowance to maybe spend part of that, save part of that, Maybe give part of that to charity to start instilling some charitable values. So there's a lot that you can do and good to just thinking through something that conceptually early on so you can get started whenever you want to put that in place. Nice. Matt, did you have an allowance when you were younger? I'm trying to remember back. I don't know if it was an allowance or you know if I wanted to buy something that I'd be able to get. If it was, it was small, nothing crazy. Uh, but again, even just having that real money at stake, if it's even... $5 a week to be able to say, okay, you spend three, save one in the piggy bank and give one to charity. Something like that helps to instill those values very early on. I didn't, I didn't have one when I was younger, but I'm, I'm, it seems like a good thing. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Or even if it's in our chores around the household, something for you guys to, to figure out. If, if they're not bringing in enough income from the baby modeling. Yeah. We'll have to <laughs> assign there chores. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready for family protection. Your next bullet point. Yeah, insurance is a big piece to start thinking about when you're having a baby. I know you had Bruce Comoro, my cousin on the show, listen to that one. It was an awesome conversation. So another good one to tee up if you are having a baby or starting a family to start thinking about insurance. Uh, I know I spoke to you, Nicole, personally about this, and it's something that is really important. And unfortunately, now having done this for a while, I've seen cases where insurance isn't in place and really would have benefited the individuals if it was. Think of this as really protecting your family and making sure that if God forbid something happened to you, that both your spouse, significant other, and child would be provided for. When thinking about what type of insurance do you want to get, there's a lot of considerations there. I'll spend just a brief moment explaining some of them high level, but if you do want to learn more about the specifics and really get into the details, go check out the episode with Ethan and Bruce Comero all about life insurance. The place that I usually start is term insurance for young parents. That's going to be the cheapest amount of premium, so the amount that you're paying for the insurance for the largest amount of death benefit, so the money that you get if you pass away for having that policy in place. So that's a good place to start when there's all these other expenses that are coming up with having a baby. 
of thinking about how can I have that protection in place, but not have it really hurt the wallet too much to get that set up. There's a few different ways also to think about, okay, I know I want life insurance. How much do I need? And how do I figure that out? But we can think about just some basic rules of thumbs. Bruce spoke about this on his episode, but just want to you know, go back to the envelope. Where do I start? Somewhere around 10 to 15 times your income is a good place to at least start one of those side of the goalposts. But then to get more nuanced and really do a calculation, you can look at it. Okay, how much income am I bringing in and what are my expenses that I would need to have covered? And thinking about what pot of money do I need there if I was going to withdraw, say, 4 or 5% of that larger pot of money to support my lifestyle? Or there's more of the needs-based way to come up with it. Of what are all of those things that I would need to pay for if I wasn't here that I have outstanding? So whether it's student loan debt or a mortgage or funding college education down the road, having those different methods as different ways to come up with dollar amounts can be a really good starting place to say, how much insurance do I need? The good thing is if you're having kids that say in your 20s or even your 30s, the insurance premiums for a lot of insurance aren't going to be that expensive. So you do get a lot of bang for your buck having that term insurance. You're going to get, say, $500,000 or a million dollars of insurance. Sounds like a lot of money, but for a smaller amount, pay out of pocket, it's worth it to have that level of coverage. Yeah. I feel like the because it's a little hard for us because we're moving. So it's like, well, expenses are going to change. I think the 10 times the income is just like what's been helping us now. Because it's like, that's just easy to understand, easy. And if it's off a little bit, I think we're at peace with it. Because nothing's ever going to be perfect. Yeah, it's more important to have the coverage and get that in place. And this is a big one that I would say when you talk about that six hour rule of getting things done before the baby, this is a big one. There's people out there that say get the insurance before you. Uh, you know, or even thinking about having kids because you're younger and less expensive. You know, you guys have done the hard part. You know, the baby's right here on the way. There is a process to get the insurance in place from filling out applications, depending on the dollar amount, if you need medical underwriting, so they can see which class you're in, whether you're in really good health or say you're a smoker or you have health issues, you might be paying more for your premium for that coverage. Those types of things where you don't have to worry about, you know, do I need a babysitter? Is the baby crying in the background? Do I have to drive or have someone come to my house? It's nice to be able to have that taken care of before the child arrives to have that coverage in place. That's a good point because I talked with Bruce offline. So actually, Nicole's already in the third trimester. And he said, oh, well, at that point, it's already sort of too late, depending on... He's like, some insurances won't let you do it until now after the baby's come. This is just for anyone, you know, going to have a baby, start it like right away, this process. Because we thought, oh, it's still three months ahead of the baby coming, we're fine. And the Bruce said, well, actually, it's going to limit you just a little bit because some companies aren't going to want it. So I'm just saying that because like we're, we're already limited in what we can do, um, or we have to decide to wait longer, even though you warned us, Matt Queller. And (laughs) it's a great point. Yeah. So first or second trimester, that's the time to do it. And, And we spoke about the importance of life insurance. A lot of people have this through their employers. Depending on the audience members, and a lot of your listeners are in more creative types of roles, that's not necessarily available, but good to have a conversation with your partner, see if the benefit's available and what's out there. But you can't always bring that with you, and a lot of times it's expensive if you were going to do that. So knowing that people change employers a lot, it's good to have an outside policy that's going to be with you regardless of where you are. 
And as we spoke about the term policies, there's different lengths of time that you can have that coverage in place. So the common ones for people having children are, say, 20-year term insurance or 30-year term insurance. And this, again, is insurance that you hope that you never use. Basically, you're paying a level premium, the same amount each year, regardless of if your health has changed under that period. It's based on your health when you get the policy. And then that coverage is in place up until the end of when it expires, where hopefully your baby genius is out in the world making millions, as Bill Gates and Elon Musk would be, and doesn't need the support anymore for any of the expenses that might be coming up on their behalf. I looked into USA 829, which is my union, and I did not see a life insurance option, which I'm just saying out loud, if there's anyone else in 829, they now know that. Or if they have it and I'm wrong, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) And we spoke about life disabilities also really important. You're a lot more likely to become disabled during your lifetime than you are to actually pass away. Same type of thing. A lot of employers offer coverage there, but if not, definitely can speak to an agent or a broker about standalone coverage for disability insurance protection. That's disability for me and Nicole, not for the baby. Yes, exactly. So for some lines of work, it's more important to have or more likely that you might get disabled if, say, you're in a construction-related job or let's say that you're in medicine and you really need your hands, you can get certain policies that if you're disabled and you can't make that level of income from being so specialized, you have money that's coming in to protect you. Real question. Disability insurance is lower on my list, but should I put it higher up? Like, should I put it up there with life insurance? I would put it up there. It's important, I'd say, to price it out to at least see how also that might fit into your spending plan of what you have. When you think about your family and protecting them, if you did get disabled, then you can no longer pay your rent, put food on the table. I mean, that's a big concern, right? And you're not just looking out for you and Nicole anymore. You have your child to take into consideration. So I think that puts it in perspective too when you have a family of, God forbid, something did happen. It's nice to have that coverage and Disability insurance isn't that expensive either for a lot of coverage. So I'd say it's definitely worth exploring and an important part of a well-buttoned-up financial plan of having both life and disability. All right. I'll add that to the list because I asked Bruce about it and he, he doesn't do disability, but now I just have to go get it somewhere else, which is fine. Totally doable. We're going to do it for a little baby stimul. <laughs> awesome. Oh, all right. I see your next bullet point. One of my favorite topics in the world health insurance. (laughs) Yes. So there's a lot of benefits through people's employers that they should look into related to childcare. We're talking about just the benefits that are out there, not even necessarily just through the employer, but also through the state. Especially in New York, there's legislation that was passed recently that has paid family leave up to 12 weeks, which is awesome to have that benefit, especially if you work for an employer that doesn't have something like paid parental leave. In New York State, just to talk about some of the specifics that they offer, it's up to 12 weeks of paid time, up to two-thirds of your pay, and it's capped at $1,000 a week that they'll pay out. But a really nice thing is you don't need to use that time consecutively either. As long as it's used within the first year, you could do, say, a five-week stretch and then a seven-week stretch later down the road, depending on what your particular situation is. So just having a conversation between you and your significant other about what's available through each of your employers or what's available through your state is a great way to make sure that you're planning ahead for those types of benefits. And you'll also have a sense of what's going to happen right when the baby arrives 
is that's going to be one of the hardest places when you're in the trenches, they're not getting any sleep, you're exhausted, and you want to make sure that you still have the financial steps covered during those early months. And that was something that snuck up on us. You know, Nicole has, I, I, I'm independent, so I don't have any leave, but Nicole has her leave through her work, New York State. She had to make a decision whether it was going to be consecutive or broken up, and we hadn't, like, thought about it. And we, because we didn't sort of realize, and maybe we can make the change later. It was sort of like, you need to let us know what we're doing. And we were like, what? We don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, that's where the, the importance of the research comes into play. Yeah. <laughs> a few other work things to mention. So if you're working for a bigger employer, it's a good benefits package. There's a few other things that are available. So one of those is specifically called a dependent care, flexible spending account. So this is a way for you to put aside money on a pre-tax basis. So again, you're not being taxed on as much income, up to $5,000 per year that you can put in this plan. So if you're going to be paying out of pocket for things like childcare or daycare, this is a type of account where you can use that money to pay for that if you would have been just paying it for cash anyways, but you're getting that tax deduction for putting money aside in that type of account. So nice for people to look at their benefits and see if that happens. Even if you're past your open enrollment period, when you have a baby, it counts as a qualifying event where you're able to look at your benefits and basically have a restart in what you're signed up for. And that could be something that you do sign up for at that time to take advantage of. Just question, like if you have a babysitter who you're just paying cash to, can you use that money for that person? Or do you have to like use the provider where you can provide a receipt? The person would need to be claiming the income. So if you're doing it under the table, you know, they're not reporting it, it's not going to count. But if they're paying income on that, you know, they do it a legit way. They don't need to be incorporated or anything, but as long as they're reporting the income and doing it the right way, then you can still pay them through that dependent care. Okay, yeah, and I looked into that. Um, There is no option for a 1099 worker or a freelancer or a contractor to have access to that dependent care flexible spending account. That can only happen if your employer offers it. And important, you know, not just for a tax deduction, but for healthcare plans in general, knowing that you're going to be factoring in the delivery and hospital care in the beginning, wanting to make sure if you're planning to have a kid, when you go to select a medical plan, say for that year ahead, would you rather have something like a high deductible plan, knowing that you're going to meet the deductible and the premiums are smaller, or would you choose a different plan depending on the coverage? Again, really important to go into the details and the weeds of what each of those plans offer if you have different things to choose from through your employer. For us, through M&T Bank, we were able to have access to a health savings account. So this is another great benefit on top of a dependent care flexible spending account where you can contribute as a family for 2023, $7,750. This is a great tax advantage account, almost like a Roth IRA, but for healthcare. In the HSA, you get a deduction for the money that's going in that comes off of your taxable income. It grows tax deferred, just like a retirement account or the 529. And if you're using the money that's in that plan for health expenses down the road, you don't have to pay any taxes on the capital gains or any of the withdrawals. So another good way, if you do have high health expenses, that you can utilize this type of an account, get the tax deduction for it, and take the money out. But another strategy, and one that I'll frequently recommend to clients if they're in a position to do it, if you have access to the health savings account, you can put the money in there get the tax deduction, have the money be invested, and use it for healthcare expenses later down the road in retirement. This episode is focused on family planning. So a couple other things I'll tie back just through the employer that you want to look at. 
uh, things like your deductible through your health insurance. You know, we were at a point in time because the delivery is so expensive and you have a lot of doctor's appointments in the beginning that we ended up not only just meeting our deductible, but our out-of-pocket maximum in that first year when we had our baby. So then, you know, a lot of her appointments, medicines, even things for us personally, we didn't have to pay for because we hit that amount. So just good things to be taking into consideration and plan for when you're looking ahead because that first year is really expensive. And you can even call the hospital ahead of time, give them your insurance information, and they can give you an idea of what the expenses are going to be and what's going to be covered and what might not be. And a lot of employers too, there is a timeline where you're going to want to make sure that you get your child enrolled on that health plan. So typically that's within the first 30 or 60 days where you have the ability to do that new open enrollment. And really important to make sure that you get them on that insurance because you are going to have a lot of doctor's appointments, shots, and those types of things that you want to make sure that are covered within those first few months. There's a lot here. I look like I'm overwhelming you, Ethan. <laughs> well, I'm just, I mean, well, the health savings account, it's like we got 529, then we got the UTMA, an IRA just for them, but that's later once they start working. And then this health savings account, it's just a lot of accounts. <laughs> which like I want the tax deductions, but it's a lot of accounts. <laughs> well, it's important to have the conversation. So, you know, all these different things that are out there and then you can prioritize based on your goals and your values of where that money is going to be going. And also having a professional in your corner who can give you that accountability, share their perspective and expertise, help guide you of what's going to make the most sense in your situation is really helpful. And also I just assumed the baby would be covered under health insurance, but now it's like, oh, we got to add them right away. And now I'm worried, like, are we going to be able to, what about those three months? <laughs> it's going to be fine. These are all just, if I look overwhelmed, that's why I'm just, it's all in my head all at once right now. <laughs> yeah, look, six weeks away and it's getting close. It's going to be so good. All right, let's move to estate planning if you're ready. Yeah, let's do it. In the vein of protection and making sure that you're prepared for worst case scenarios as a parent. Estate planning is a really important topic that I'll speak to new families about. The first one at the top of that list is having a basic will in place. There's a few basic things that you want to check off that should be included in the will that are really important for having that included. The biggest one being naming a legal guardian, that if something happens to you or Nicole, each of you at the same time, you don't want to leave it up to the state to decide who's going to be responsible for your child. You don't necessarily want them in state-sponsored foster care types of programs, having that conversation up front, thinking about is it going to be a family member or a friend that you would want to have named? And then not only just deciding who that's going to be, but then having that conversation with that individual to make sure that they know beforehand, you get the green light from them to move forward with it before they're listed on legal documents. And they get this surprise phone call that, hey, baby Steinwall is uh, here for good now to make sure that that's set up and in place. These are th those are two other things that we never even thought about, like we did think about, but then you're bringing it up that like we really need to figure that out. And those are things that, again, you don't need to figure it out before the baby's there. Something within the first year, I would say, is a good goal to have. The earlier, the better, obviously, having that in place. With the will, you know, you're also assigning what happens to all of your belongings, possessions, investment accounts upon your passing. So all that can be named. You can use beneficiaries and you want to make sure that your beneficiaries are also coordinated with that legal document. On top of the basic will, there's also things like healthcare directives that you can put in place as you're doing that and working either with an attorney or there's a good startup now in that space, trust and will, 
that is able to do that at a lower cost to get those types of things set up where you can not only name things like a healthcare proxy of who that person making health decisions for you is going to be, but naming things like a power of attorney or things like a living will of who's going to make end of life decisions for you if you're in an incapacitated state and all these types of things as a parent. Now with increased responsibility or good things to have conversations about finding either an attorney by asking around friends and family who have children what they might have done or going online and checking out some of the new resources that are available there. I think that's awesome, trustandwill.com, because when Nicole and I were looking to do this like five years ago, it was like hard to find a lawyer. Actually, our financial advisor, Christine Fisher, (laughs) recommended us to some lawyers. It's important to have the document in place. That's obviously the priority, but then making sure that that document is readily accessible if something did happen. So whether that's leaving it with your trusted advisor or giving a copy to family and friends that also have the ability to retrieve that if need be is another important consideration there. Oh, wait, Matt, I'm supposed to ask you about this. Have you notarized your will yet? (laughs) So I will say we went through and got ours done through Trust and Will, which is a great experience. And we just need to get it notarized now to have it officially be in place. We have not done that. As you'll uh, be juggling a lot of things yourself, but that is on our to-do list, and hopefully we take care of that shortly. All right. Okay. When we prepped for this a couple of weeks ago, Matt was saying he hoped he hoped to get that notarized soon. So I, w- I was just being your accountability partner. That's all. So I'll put it in my calendar to ask you again. Yeah. Remind me in another couple of weeks, and hopefully the answer is yes. I'll probably also draft one up that gives everything to me, and then I'll try to swap it out and have you notarize that one. <laughs> I got a whole plan here. There you go. All right. Is that everything? Have we covered everything? Talk about the Roth IRA for kids and the social security number is another thing that comes up. So you apply typically in the hospital for the social security number for the baby. That's important for things like a 529 plan. A lot of times you'll provide that to the employer or the health insurance company as you're signing up for that. When you go to set up a 529, just a little tidbit, you can start it without having the child named as the beneficiary. You could essentially name yourself before you have the social. So there's some people out there who really want to get a big head start that know that they're having kids and maybe have that 529 plan set up a year or two in advance even to just start saving. And then once you have the social security number, you can keep the same account and then just transfer the beneficiary, ultimately who gets the money, to your child's name once that happens. That's, uh, wow, Nicole and I are two years late then and getting two years ahead on the 529 (laughs) plan. (laughs) I didn't realize that. You could do it for yourself and then transfer it over. Exactly. Hmm. That's pretty brilliant. Wow. There's so many options. (laughs) Yeah. There's so much out there. There's a lot of really good resources online to go to. Speaking with an advisor who talks about these types of things regularly is really helpful. But as far in advance as you can do it, it's probably the third or fourth time I've said it, the more helpful it is because when you have a baby, trust me, your time is being spent with that baby and you want to be there, right? You don't want to be worrying about these types of things. You want to have the focused time with your child and it's an amazing time in your parents' life, those first few months, getting acclimated to the new lifestyle. To have a lot of this stuff done and have the peace of mind that you know it's already taken care of is great and will take a lot of the stress out of a really stressful time already when you're learning to be a parent in those first few months. And I I know everybody says it, but it's like having a baby changes you. I know you experienced this before, too, where it's like even just knowing that the baby's on the way, it's like you start doing things differently. And (laughs) and Nicole gets her, her leave, which is great. 
I just, I'm just going to take time off. Like that's in my brain is like, okay, I'm not going to do X, Y, Z shows, but because I go gig to gig, it's like, well, there are some that I might do. Like right now I have a couple scheduled and I'm like, okay, I got this. But then it's like, once baby's here, it's like, well, am I going to choose to not do those <laughs> or whatever? That's, that's like my big thing right now. Yeah. Baby Steinle is going to be sleeping a lot in the beginning too. <laughs> Sleep a lot of the time during the day. So yes, you're going to be tired if you're up in the middle of the night, but there is still time to get things done. And again, all of these types of things that we spoke about, it's great if you can do it beforehand. If not, all good things to try to get taken care of. I'd say within that first year, as you get more acclimated to what that new lifestyle is going to be like. Amazing. All right. Well, Matt, this this sort of bullet point list you provided me is fantastic. I'm going to provide a link to a list like this, a checklist in the show notes. This is amazing. Thank you so much. This is now my sort of checklist that I'm using for little baby Stimel coming around. I really appreciate you going through all that because there's some new things, the UTMA that I didn't even know about. And at this moment, I'm thinking there's too many options. But I think once I digest this for a little bit, it's like, well, this is all pretty reasonable and manageable. Whenever we move, we'll find a new state and see what their rules are. And I'm sure that'll there'll be some benefits there for us too. This is awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Look, I'm excited for you guys. You guys have taken a lot of really good steps so far, and I think you're on the way to setting yourself up for success. Amazing. All right, so since you were on the show last time, um, I've thrown a new question in here that I ask, and it's just for fun, and that is, is there a question that you would like to ask me? And I'll just throw in the caveat, you cannot ask me if I'll commit to using you as a financial advisor for the baby until they're the age of 18. (laughs) Yeah, right. Look, it's awesome. And being able to work with multiple generations of families is something that I've not gotten to the point in my career where I've done where maybe it's the grandparent, the parent and the child is investing. And it's cool to be able to see that and have that shared experience. So maybe one day. But my question for you, Ethan, as an expecting parent here is, what are you most looking forward to? And uh, what are you most worried about or afraid of on this journey coming up? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think like I'm most looking forward to just spending time with the baby, hugging them, you know, kissing them, doing all that. Like, I just I think that's going to be really exciting. I'm already like thinking, oh, when they're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, like they're going to be like, get away, dad, get away, like and go through their teens and all that. I'm already dreading that. I'm always like, it's coming too soon. Like, I just want the tiny little thing. Cherish, it goes by quickly. And then I think my biggest fear is, just, you know, making sure they have an opportunity to do whatever they want. I'm joking about the Einstein and the Bill Gates and Elon Musk, but like if they turned out to be Richard Branson and something like that, like that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. (laughs) Yeah, not so bad. And look, you and Nicole have a big part, not only just from the way that you raise that child, but look, a lot of things that you want to do in your life, they cost money, right? So if you're also setting them up financially because you started saving for your child early, that's going to allow them a lot more flexibility and options to choose that path of what they want to do or pay for certain things where maybe you have extra coaches or where you have after school programs that you can send them to because you save money in these types of accounts early on to empower them to do that. Yeah, I love that. So I think that's my fear is that what if something goes wrong? But honestly, having had this conversation, it's like, well, if I get insurance, if I get the life insurance, the disability insurance, I sort of like cover myself and then I save, you know, even if there's problems, we at least have started some of these things, etc. You know, it would really have to go really wrong in order to not work out. I think I'm afraid of everything going wrong, but it's going to be awesome. 
And I'm more excited about the excited awesomeness than I am about the worries. Yeah, look, that's a good way to think about it. And it really is an amazing experience. And you you talked about holding them and kissing them. And one of the most unforgettable things for me is right there in the hospital. One of the first times I was holding my daughter and she's right there on your chest. And that feeling that you have as a new parent with human life on you was really special and something that I can't wait to hear about from you guys in just uh, a few short months here. Awesome. All right. Well, Matt, thank you again. Before you go, where can people connect with you and who do you want to connect with you? So they can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, So just search my name, Matthew Queller on LinkedIn to find me there. I'm also on Twitter at Matt Queller. They can find me there or they can also give me a call on my work cell phone if they did want to speak about specific situations for their own family. And that number is 917-301-8139. Amazing. All right, Matt, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being our advisor. And thank you for uh, calling when we said, oh, we're having a baby. And you got called immediately. (laughs) So really appreciate everything that that you're doing for us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm excited for you guys. And hopefully I can come back again on the show for some more topics down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we start that allowance, you'll you need to come back and and help (laughs) us figure out how we get to divvy that up. (laughs) That's it for this week's episode. My takeaways are Matt talking about being a team. Nicole and I are taking care of this baby. We don't have any family in New York and we aren't close enough with friends to get their help with babysitting, which means that we're handling everything on our own. And we're more than capable of doing that. But to all the single parents in the world, I have the utmost respect because this is quite a challenge. Something I have learned since the baby arrived, and that is that for the first 30 days of their life, they are covered on the mother's health insurance, but after 30 days, they have to be added to the policy on their own. I want to mention disability insurance. We still don't have it. So after reading last month's book for the book club, Get Good With Money, we actually decided not to get this. And I'm sure it's a good idea, and Matt said it was a good idea, but it's just not something we're going to commit to. So what do you think? Did you enjoy the episode? Please drop me a note on the socials at Artistic Finance, or go ahead and email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. Just in case you forgot, we have a Patreon page. If you want to join up as a patron, you can do that at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.